Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. From a very young age, Celia would often try to control her sleep and often use medication to get her through her frequent bouts of insomnia. After the birth of her son and the emergence of the COVID pandemic, Celia became even more fixated on sleep. All of her old sleep crutches seemed to stop working and she didn't know what to do. Celia began to spend her days researching sleep and looking for options. She had heard about evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques that can help tackle the thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate sleep disruption but she found the techniques difficult to implement. And whenever she experienced some difficult nights, she felt she was back to square one. Fortunately, Celia did not give up. She decided it was time to stop allowing insomnia to be part of her identity and began to implement new habits that would create better conditions for sleep. Instead of trying to eliminate anxiety and spending her days obsessing about sleep, she learned to acknowledge and accept anxious thoughts and lived the life she wanted to live independently of sleep. Celia recognized that it was her desire to control sleep and her sleep-related thoughts that was a big part of the problem. When she was able to accept that she couldn't directly control sleep or her thoughts and committed to implementing behaviors that would create better conditions for sleep and help her live life according to her values, she was able to starve her insomnia of the oxygen it craved and enjoy the life and sleep that she wanted. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Celia. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. No problem. Nice to see you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to see you too. I'm just so excited to have you on because I remember when we first started working together, you actually shared that one of your goals was to be a success story and to come on as a guest at some point in the future. And here you are now. Yep, it, it definitely was. Um, as I said to you kind of in, in our emails to start with, I sort of discovered you and your work through the podcast. And it was listening to the stories of other people that you'd kind of worked yeah. with that actually made me kind of, because I'd heard about kind of CBTI and I'd always been sort of resistant <laughs> to trying mm. it because it seemed like quite horrible. Um, 
so listening to the the podcast was really really motivating for me to kind of reach out and um actually get things started and do it for myself so that was like a bit of a north star for me as I was going mm. through it just um knowing that at some point in the future that I could come on and talk to everybody else about my experience and hopefully help some people in the way that um the people you spoke to before helped me so absolutely think- <laughs> hopefully everyone listening to this by the end of this discussion will think hmm maybe in the future I'll be on this podcast exactly. as a success story too exactly <laughs> so let's rewind and go right to the beginning um when did your sleep problems first begin and what do you think caused your initial issues with sleep um i mean probably my dad because <laughs> um because it's definitely like a i guess a learned behavior in like my family uh, my dad has always been kind of very anxious and he always had kind of sleeping issues which probably mm. sort of projected onto us like both i have two sisters and both of them are kind of you know not great at sleeping um and so probably from like from a very young age i i remember sort of having weird kind of control issues around sleep and i used to share a set of bunk beds with my sister and i kind of had these weird things where i had to you know make sure she was asleep before i could fall asleep and there was all these kind of weird things you know that i, I kind of learned growing up around sleep so it was never like an effortless thing that you you don't think about it was always something that was in the back of my mind and um i probably um medicated my way through bouts of sleeplessness um in the past and kind of you know at university i had issues with it and kind of i smoked a lot of weed i know we, we spoke quite a few times about um how that had been um, a bit of a crutch for me, um, mm-hmm. kind of longer term. Um, but it never, it was always kind of bouts of, I guess, like transient insomnia that kind of came and went, but it would last a few days. Or, you know, when I'd had jet lag, you know, I was always like, you know, I'll never sleep on planes or I'll have troubles, you know, when I go somewhere different and I'm in a different sleep environment, I won't be able to sleep very well. So that was kind of like the story of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, never had like the the healthiest relationship with sleep, but it was totally manageable and not something that was really like um, causing, you know, too much, um, I guess, negative impact on my life more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, then I guess when probably what you, you know, technically diagnose as more like chronic insomnia started um, after the birth of my first son, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a very stressful <laughs> time anyway. Right. Um, it was um kind of i'm in i'm in australia my whole family's in the uk um obviously because of covid couldn't see any of them there was all kind of that extra issue going on so i was i was very anxious um new mum i think as well i was projecting a lot of my own like baggage um when it comes to sleep onto my relationship with my son's sleep mm-hmm. and i know a lot of new mums are obsessed with their, their children's sleep because it's all you know i mean you've, you've got kids you know what it's like yeah um, it's um you know the whole schedule is based around them sleeping and then having mm-hmm. to go to sleep within a certain sleep window and so you're just constantly obsessing about their sleep and then i had this added baggage of you know oh it's going to affect my sleep and you know if he doesn't nap then and i read too many stupid sleep consultant training books for kids that basically told you if your kid didn't sleep perfectly then they were a write-off and they were never going to have a good relationship with sleep (laughs) seriously this the baby sleep consultant industry has a lot to answer for in causing my issues um but um, of course my son was like actually as babies go like a pretty much a perfect sleeper would like 
almost you know almost from get-go would sleep through the night and uh, but I was just still projecting all this stuff onto him and trying to control mm. his sleep and um, you know when he'd have a bad night or he wouldn't nap but you know I'd get more anxious and I think it all just came to a head um, and I started just like not not sleeping mm-hmm. um, um, and it kind of flipped from worrying about his sleep to just constantly focusing on my own sleep mm. <laughs> um, so this was probably when he was about six months old we were kind of mid-covid lockdown which is um, you know very lucky out here we've only kind of had one lockdown and life has been pretty much fairly normal since so like um it's definitely not a woe is me story lots of other people have it a lot worse than me but um yeah so I guess that was when that was when my sleep started getting worse I was probably uh, I think unlike previously when I'd had transient insomnia um and it kind of went away I was then just focused on like oh you know relying on the old crutches I had well I couldn't smoke weed because I was breastfeeding (laughs) so that was one thing um um, and then um and I couldn't really take sleeping pills so I guess like I didn't have any of my crutches so then I was kind Mm. of spiraling into this space where like I don't know what to do looking for options googling spending my days obsessed with it I think um I'm someone who probably didn't cope that well not being at work if I'm honest because like that was a very good distraction for me and I think Mm. being kind of mum kind of in lockdown with nothing to focus on except my own sleeping issues was like the perfect storm for me just kind of getting stuck in this spiral and then um I reached out to kind of psychiatrist um and a psychologist um and then I started taking um like prescription medication for kind of anxiety which definitely helped for a short period of time. And then Mm -hmm. that kind of stopped working. And then that made it even worse because I was like, oh my God, I've exhausted all the solutions. That's it. I'm condemned to a lifetime of not sleeping. What the hell am I going to do? I'm sure you've heard this story a million times before. (laughs) It was very much a kind of um, vicious cycle of just kind of self-perpetuating, like spiraling and um, hunting for external solutions and kind of not realizing that, there was really no external solution and I just needed to um, change my relationship with sleep and and stop worrying about it essentially. Um, So yes, I guess when I, I found CBTI, actually my psychiatrist recommended like a kind of free online course for it here. Um, So I kind of did that, but I found it really difficult because I, I kind of did the sleep restriction, but I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. Um, And then I, kind of tried it for a week or two and it worked and then I'd have a couple of bad nights and I would just spiral again and it was just very up and down so um and I probably wasn't properly committed to it either um so that's kind of when I initially made contact with you I think it's great you know I th- it, it was really <laughs> interesting when you just you kind of interjected upon yourself and you said you've probably heard all this before because (laughs) from person to person insomnia is so similar it's it's Mm. quite remarkable you know and regular listeners of this podcast will know that we actually have this model for the development of insomnia called the 3p model whereby the first p is predisposed some of us are just a bit more predisposed to insomnia so in your case it sounds like you know kind of maybe there was some some 
issues with insomnia running in the family. Um, yeah. So it brings more attention to sleep, more focus to sleep, maybe a little bit yeah. more responsive to sleep disruption. We want to yes. control sleep. And then yeah. we have that second P, the precipitating event, which is what triggers the sleep disruption. Could be anything, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely having a child qualifies. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> co- the, the pandemic, COVID, that qualifies. Getting a new job, changing job. Anything that affects our life can lead to some sleep disruption. And normally sleep gets right back on track, as it sounds like you often experienced yourself. Yeah. These periods of sleep disruption, but then it will get back on track. But sometimes it doesn't. And that's usually down to the third P in our model, which is the (laughs) perpetuating factors. And these are all the thoughts and behaviors that we have because we want quite understandably to improve our sleep, but unfortunately backfire and have the opposite result and they keep the sleep disruption alive because we might do things like spending more time researching sleep, for example, thinking about sleep, putting pressure on ourselves to sleep, maybe spending more time in bed, maybe trying to nap during the day, modifying our days all around sleep. So all these things that we then do because we want to improve our sleep can actually keep the insomnia alive. And, Apart from the specific details, that's really what insomnia is all about. And we see it from person to person. Uh, So it was really interesting how you described that and then actually made that observation yourself. Yeah, you probably heard this all before because it does follow that really predictable pattern. Yeah, it is. And it's funny because obviously now I'm like hyper aware of other people with sleep issues and constantly referring them to do CBTI and it always tends to be um actually a lot of people I work with I guess it's I'm working quite a high stress job I work in advertising it's not exactly Mm -hmm. kind of (laughs) low-key um and obviously during the pandemic I think even even over here in Australia where we haven't had it as badly you know people have um experienced a lot more a lot more kind of stress and anxiety and sleep disruption and it always tends to be the more kind of controlling control freak (laughs) type a people who um are used to kind of controlling every aspect of their life and i think it's it's that kind of illusion of being able to control sleep i think that gets you into such hot water in the first place um and also is just makes you feel so helpless and hopeless when you're going through it because you just don't know what to do in every other aspect of your life and this is kind of like parenting too Um, with a child you can't control them either but with every other aspect of your life you you know the more you try um the better you know know, the better the result right yeah um and so you're kind of conditioned to try harder and do more and you know invest all this energy into something and it's actually the complete opposite with sleep and I think that's that's like the trap isn't it (laughs) because yeah um and that's you know part of the predisposition is probably a lot of people who are you know um a little bit more controlling and in other aspects of their life yeah I I would completely agree with you and I think it's really important to you know not not be hard on ourselves because we are implementing these behaviors because like you said everything in life pretty much everything in life responds positively to effort and sleep is the one thing that doesn't. Um, So when we go through life, connecting effort to success, um, 99.9% of the time, that's probably true. So we want to do the same for sleep, but sleep is one of those rare exceptions. And the more we try, the more we strive, the more we put effort into sleep, the harder it seems to become, the more elusive it is. But but interestingly, um, and I quote spoke, quite a bit to my psychiatrist about this um you know that's probably why I found the 
your program really useful because it did feel like you were you know channeling you were you were doing you were implementing something you were on because I think the worst part for me was feeling like I was treading water and I wasn't getting anywhere mm. and um at least with almost a structured program you're kind of like well you know even if I I'm not seeing necessarily my sleep improving in the short term like I know I'm like doing something positive and putting effort into something um, that is kind of going to help in the longer term if that makes sense it's yeah it's channeling, I think that, channeling your efforts into something more useful I guess yeah exactly you know I like to say that we can't control sleep um, but we are going to want to put effort or put control into solving the problem of poor sleep, yeah. of insomnia so what we want to do is put all of that effort and attention into creating good conditions for sleep and putting all that effort and attention into exploring the thoughts and behaviors that can perpetuate sleep disruption. Cause we're always going to have difficult nights every now and then. And it's almost always down to our reaction to those difficult nights that determines how long they stick around for. And if we address those thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate sleep disruption, it's really hard for insomnia to stick around for the long term. Yeah. And that is definitely the biggest shift. Can I, I know I've said this to you um, before, but like the, the the biggest shift for me is how I respond to bad nights because, of course, like I still have them. Um, yeah. You know, I'll um, they're not as bad as they used to be. So it, you know, in the when I was um, probably in the worst period, it, you know, I would go like a few nights with just having two or three hours sleep. You know heavily sedated um and, you know I, I'd actually wake up you know I'd wake up my husband I'd be in floods of tears I'd almost be having a panic attack I'd be like I don't know what you know it was it was awful and now if I um have a bad night I just kind of get up go and sit. you know it's like it's calm it's peaceful it's not like I don't like it um, it's not great but you know because no one likes being awake in the middle of the night but it's it's actually fine. And then the next day you just kind of, I get up, I, you know, I stick to my routine and I get on with things. Um, and then it's kind of, you know, maybe even it's a few nights or kind of a week where it's not great sleep, but it always gets back on track. Um, yeah. just because you're not, you just kind of like, I've, you know, and the more times you do it, the more times, you know, you kind of get used to it. And now it's almost just a part of, it's just a part of life and it's, it's fine. Sometimes you have days where you're not feeling as great as other ones and that's just fine yeah absolutely yeah, I mean like you just <laughs> like you touched upon it really a lot of it does come down to our reaction to the difficult nights um, because the more we react the more we can perpetuate that sleep disruption often due to heightened arousal you know more yeah. worry more anxiety about sleep and when we're worried about sleep or anxious about sleep our body then needs to generate more sleep drive so in other words, yeah. we just need to be awake for longer in order to yeah. overpower that arousal. Yeah. Um, but if nothing else, that shows that sleep always happens in the end. Um, it's just it that does. when we have a lot of arousal, a lot of anxiety, unfortunately, we need to be awake for longer to overpower that. So it can be helpful to take a two-pronged approach, In i.e. we can help build sleep drive by allotting an appropriate amount of time for sleep. And we can see what we can do to help weaken or to help lower that arousal system. When we tackle sleep drive and arousal, we often see some long-term improvements in sleep. Yeah, totally. And I think um, 
I, I think you know it's uh, you know I'd be lying if I said I was never anxious about sleep but it's yeah. but it's it's you know but it's it's something that lessens with time and you go through periods of, of great sleep and not so great sleep and it's just it's like you say it's totally how you react to it and honestly like the different and my husband says this to me when I've had a bad night he was like you're so he's like the difference is just like you're diff- like a different person um yeah. I think one of the biggest things for me as well is doing your course is just kind of understanding like the basics of sleep um and how sleep works and, and almost I've done the course I know everything there is to know not everything but you know I know what I need to know about sleep mm-hmm. therefore I don't need to spend the next day searching for solutions like that's done you know um, and I think that's the biggest difference you know before where you're constantly searching for solutions and stuff it's now yeah. it's just like and I remember saying to my sister who who's a, actually a doctor so I was, would constantly kind of ring her when I was having a terrible time in the middle of the night I was like what do I what shall I do what should I do and she kept saying to me you don't need to do anything like that's your problem <laughs> um, and I think yeah. just it takes a while to internalize that advice but but I think that's the biggest thing for me was you know when it come back comes back to that kind of putting effort into the wrong place thing it's like you have a bad night instead of waking up the next day and being like making a whole plan for the next night and what you're going to do and how you're going to solve it you're just like that's done I may have a good night the next night I might not but it actually doesn't matter and I've kind of that's it you know there's no need to to spend the whole day googling it there's no need to like invest energy in worrying about it I'm just going to get on with the day and that's it and that's a really really hard mindset shift especially for someone who has always had kind of like an obsession with sleep and was worrying about my son's Mm. sleep and like and that's the thing that probably the biggest thing for me is you know on a constant kind of recovery journey is just reminding yourself that like you know if you feel yourself falling into that spiral where you are kind of looking things up it's like no I'm done (laughs) yeah there's nothing more I need to know and there's nothing more I need to do (laughs) just kind of stick with the basics of what I what I've already learned and that's it yes I mean spending all that time searching for solutions or researching sleep is completely understandable why we would do that because again we want to solve the problem right but yeah it tends not to reveal any big insights it tends only to just draw more focus and attention to sleep and make us worry more about sleep and that can be one of those behaviors that perpetuates sleep disruption totally Um, you know in connection to that another common perpetuating behavior is trying to conserve energy or adjusting our days based on how we slept you know so we might cancel plans or we might stop exercising things like that Um, or maybe even call in sick to work um yeah you can't do that with a child unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) right exactly but you know i think my son (laughs) right exactly but i think in a way it's a it's good when we have that when we have some kind of obligation that keeps our days somewhat structured like going into work um or having to take care of our children because if nothing else it ensures that we do have to get out of bed in the morning. Um, We do have opportunities to do things other than think and worry about sleep throughout the day. Um, Often we can have that temptation, just going back to the work example, to call in sick to work because we just feel like we can't do it. But then the issue is we probably end up staying at home doing even more thinking or worrying about sleep, Um, maybe napping during the day, not giving ourselves that opportunity to see if we can have some good moments during the day because when we cancel our days in response to difficult nights of sleep then we kind of guarantee that difficult night equals difficult day and again 
comes back to perpetuating that sleep disruption. Yeah, totally. And I think that's, again, like when I first was um, having sleep disruption at the beginning before I kind of, you know, got on the kind of recovery journey, it was very much a like, I, in fact, I even, because I was on maternity leave at the time, I even, you know, made my husband take two weeks off work. I was like, I'm not coping. I can't look after Louis during the day. Um I mean, it was helpful, obviously, because I didn't, you know, because I, I wanted some help during the day because I wasn't feeling great. But yeah, I then felt like I was suspended in this like emergency crisis status almost, you know, when you're kind of and that I think then perpetuated the issue of me feeling like there was something wrong with me and I had to solve it. And mm-hmm. and now it's like, you know, I haven't, you know, I've been back at work six months. I haven't, you know, called in six once because of sleep even though I've had a few bad nights and you just kind of get on with it and actually I got to the stage where at the beginning you know I kind of told my boss when I went back to work um you know I'd had had sleep issues and he used to kind of ask me about it and I actually said to him like don't even bother asking me about it I don't want to talk about it (laughs) like it's just kind of I want to pretend I'm a normal person that doesn't have this because that will help me be a normal person who doesn't have sleep problems um and, and you know remarkably like if you don't tell anyone you've had a had a bad night then no one notices because you kind of just get on with it and and you almost forget weirdly um yeah so it yeah it's a it's a real kind of you just got to get on with it <laughs> um but my my younger sister who has two children um and i mean they, they uh, both her kids are terrible sleepers she used to say to me yeah like every time I've had a bad night because of the kids I just get up and you know you're sleepwalking through the day but you just pretend that you've had eight hours and you're fine and that's it <laughs> mm-hmm. um so it's almost pre- yeah. you know pretending with yourself that yeah, everything's fine and then it is yeah you know I think uh sometimes maybe taking that approach of faking it until you make it can yeah, be helpful exactly. um, yeah. if nothing else it just helps shift that focus and attention away from sleep yeah. uh, and often yeah. the less attention we pay to sleep the easier it becomes um you know on on this note you know I remember when we first started working together you were still on maternity leave um and then you were returning to work whilst we were still working together and mm. you you told me how important it also was at the same time for you to just stay physically active, to stay mentally yeah. active. Um, yeah. You joined like a morning boot camp. You were swimming. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you were keen to start cycling to the office when you went back to yeah. work. What yeah. was it that prompted you to be so enthusiastic and determined to remain so active, even when you were still struggling with sleep? I mean, was that something that was just always part of your identity or was it you just wanted to shift focus and attention away from sleep? Definitely a bit of both. I've always been super active. Um, And I guess to me, I think, I think it's just part of it was having a routine and like, I always felt better even it went, you know, even if I'd had, I'd had a bad night. In fact, sometimes I'd get up and I'd be like, oh, I say to my husband, I just cannot cope with going to boot camp this morning. He'd be like, get out of here, go. Um, you know, and I'm fortunate, fortunate enough to live by the ocean and it's beautiful and you get out there and you're with a group of people and you're forced to kind of be in the moment and socialize with other people and feel like a kind of, you know, everyone else has had a, you know, you don't talk about it. You just get on with it. You do the boot camp, get in the sea, have a swim. And it, it's just, kind of remarkable how that just sets you up for the day and you feel like you've yeah. achieved something and and I and I'm sure that 
you know, being physically active during the day and, and kind of, you know, you're in the sunshine right from the beginning of the day. I'm sure that helps with, you know, setting a circadian rhythm and all of that kind of stuff as well. But um, there's also just a kind of determination to not let it beat me <laughs> into submission. Yeah. Um, um, and it helps with anxiety too. Like you feel, you know, the adrenaline and um, everything about exercise has always been um, very helpful for me. Um, yeah. with kind of mental health and 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 just kind of setting yourself up positively for the day so and it was it was kind of a challenge to myself that I could go to boot camp regardless um, yeah yeah I think I think that is a that's a really big point that you can still do it regardless of how you sleep yeah. because it can just be so easy to believe that we are just like completely incapable um, after those really difficult nights or when we have stretches of really difficult nights, uh, our brain yeah. is just urging us to rest and do nothing and just recuperate and conserve energy. But unfortunately that doesn't usually prove to be too yeah. helpful. It doesn't really help reduce fatigue. It just leads to more time thinking and worrying about sleep. But if we can just, even if it's just a case of faking it until you make it, yeah. just try and do some kind of activity. If nothing else, if it's something you enjoy, it's going to give you a little bit more enjoyment out of your day. It's going to improve the totally. quality of your day a little bit. It does help reduce fatigue um, because you're moving about. Um, and it can help you recognize that you do have some degree of influence over the quality of your day and you can still have some certain amount of capability during the day, even after difficult nights. And when we repeatedly prove this to ourselves, it can lead to us putting less pressure on ourselves to sleep and not seeing difficult nights as, you know, being a guarantee of a completely awful day every single time we have a hard night. Totally. And I used to say, used to say to my husband, you know, if nothing else comes out of this bad experience, then at least I'm going to, you know, get my body back after having a child. I'm <laughs> right. going to boot camp every day. And so at least there's some positive. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, I, I don't know, it's just having little things where you're kind of focused on them and, and part of not identifying as an insomniac, therefore you can't do anything, I think was really important as well to step out of that kind of mm. identity of, as, as someone who has bad sleep, because I think that's just so unhelpful. Mm. Um, and that's part of, I guess, the part of the faking it <laughs> thing as well. Um, just, I think I used to, you know, when I'd have a bad night's sleep, it's like, I've, I'm, I'm a bad sleeper, therefore I can't do this. And the same actually when I started sleep restriction, it was almost kind of, quite freeing because I always you know I, I know you said at the beginning that you know a lot of people with sleep issues kind of go to bed too early that was definitely me um when I was pregnant I needed a lot of sleep so I'd go to bed at like 8 or 8 30 and kind of sleep you know 10 or 11 hours and I think that almost like continued <laughs> into afterwards because also you know when when Louis was little I was getting up a lot in the night so he would go to bed early um but by the time he was, you know, sleeping through the night, there was absolutely no reason for me to go to bed at 8.30, but I still was. And then I wonder why I wasn't falling asleep. Yeah. Um, and so when I kind of looked into sleep and I'd always been like obsessive about, I have to have eight hours and I have to be, you know, but I was in bed for 10 or 11 hours. Um, and it just eat up so much of your life, just kind of being in bed. Um, and yeah. when I first read about sleep restriction, it sounded awful, which is probably why I was resistant to do CBTI in the first place. It's, I was like, five or six hours? How do people cope on this? I will never be able to cope on this, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as I actually tried it, it was like, oh, 
I can. Maybe I am one of those people who can stay up later and, you know, and still get up early. And, you know, and, and actually that was so freeing. And it's been really helpful now I've gone back to work as well, because sometimes I do need to work late and I don't have a panic attack about it because I'm like, it's actually fine if I work till eight or nine and then still have an hour or two before bed. And then I still can get up for boot camp because I don't need eight hours. That's like that. The myth busting around that on your course was so helpful for me. Um, yeah. and, and in a way, like I said, it felt quite liberating because, you know, now I can do stuff with my evenings um, and not, you know, be, I, I used to be so fiercely protective of my evenings, like never plan anything during the, you know, in the evening, during the week. You know, it was, it was very much just like, no, I can't do anything after 6 p.m. <laughs> um, because that's my sleep time. Um, yeah. And now it's fine. And I really enjoy kind of staying up till 10, 30, 11 and. My husband hates it because that's used to be when he could stay up on his own and play PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> and now he goes to bed before me and he very much begrudges it, but it's great for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think all those concerns you had about sleep restriction are completely understandable. I think just the terminology there, you know, sleep restriction, mm. my sleep's already restricted. I've got insomnia, yeah. for goodness sake. Yeah. But really, all we're doing is just reducing the amount of time available for wakefulness um, whilst building that sleep pressure, building that sleep yeah. drive to help sleep happen. Um, so even if, let's say, for example, you're going to be following a sleep window, only allotting six hours for sleep. Yeah. Um, if that's the case, then we would typically expect you to be averaging less than six hours of sleep when yeah. you're observing six hours for sleep. So we're never taking that opportunity for sleep away from you. Um, we're just making the amount of time you allot for sleep a bit closer to what your current reality is, closer to mm. your current average nightly sleep duration to build that sleepiness and reduce that nighttime wakefulness. And like you said, if you're able to give it a go and be consistent with it, at least for a few weeks, it does tend to bring some really positive results. If nothing else, it mm. can just help you rediscover that sense of sleepiness instead of fatigue as bedtime approaches. And it can just be so freeing being able to spend, like just having less time available for nighttime wakefulness and maybe even having a little bit more time in the mornings to actually do things that you enjoy or to be productive. Totally. And that I definitely remember when I started sleep restriction, feeling sleepy again in the evening like I'd never I've never been a person who would kind of fall asleep in front of the tv but as soon as I started sleep restriction I was like dozing off you know and it was it was like oh this is great <laughs> um yeah. I mean the first few weeks or you know it was I did have you know occasions where I'd feel sleepy on the sofa and then when I get into bed you'd be kind of ping wide awake so um which is probably quite I think a normal experience for people going through it for the first time but um it was really, really like useful for me to kind of recognize when I was sleepy again versus just kind of going to bed when I just because, you know, oh, it's 8.30, I should go to bed. Um, even though I wasn't really sleepy or ready for kind of bed. Um, yeah. And I definitely recognized that I would have because when I was, you know, even previously when, um, when I was pregnant or before before I had sleep issues, um, you know, more, more kind of chronically, I would be in bed for eight. I'd sleep, I'd say, I'd think I'd been asleep for eight hours, but probably it was quite broken sleep and I definitely wasn't asleep for all that time. And when you kind of mm. restrict the window, you, you know that you've had, you're in a, like such a deep sleep for that amount of time. And then you kind of still feel, wake up feeling refreshed. It's almost like, 
you're just being a bit more efficient with your sleep um, versus kind of stretching it out and spending loads of time in bed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on that note of sleep efficiency, what that means as well is that because we're spending less time awake uh, in bed, we are kind of retraining our brain that the bed is a place for sleep rather than all this time spent awake during the night. In effect, we're just kind of making the bed a much stronger trigger for sleep just because most of our time is spent in bed asleep rather than awake, which it might be if we're allotting way too much time for sleep at night. Definitely. I definitely developed a bad relationship with my my bed. You could kind of yeah. go in the bedroom and just look at the bed and just be like, oh, <laughs> I mm-hmm. had some bad times. Um, and now it's not at all like that. It's, you know, I'm I am still, you know, it's, I'm still pretty strict about, you know, I'll never spend more than kind of half an hour in bed if I'm not asleep. And, you know, I don't use the bedroom for anything else. And yeah. um, so it is definitely good to kind of retrain your relationship with the bedroom. Yeah. So, you know, when we were working together, as as every client I work with experiences, you are no different. There's a number of ups and downs over the eight weeks uh, of working together. Now, a common experience you shared with me was, and I think you just touched upon it uh, earlier, was struggling to stay awake until bedtime, you know, drifting off whilst you're watching TV, but then you get into bed and it just feels impossible to sleep. Mm. And I remember you would you told me that you'd try reading again, but then you'd find it hard to focus on on the book you were reading. That might be the time in you'd resort to that external crutch like smoking. Um, yeah, and you'd find you then maybe you would fall asleep, but then you'd wake really early and find it hard to fall back to sleep again. Yeah. Um, how did you tackle these challenges? God. <laughs> I just guess just a bit of perseverance to be honest um and also just I mean obviously you were really supportive and helpful through it as well um and I guess just just trying different things um so that I I kind of got I got a bit frustrated with myself because I would just kind of resort to get up and smoking some weed and like like you say it did put me to sleep but then I not for very long and I'd wake up kind of feeling a bit shit um so I actually what I used to do is just come and sit outside on the balcony where I am right now um and just kind of listen to like some white noise or like an audio book mm-hmm. instead um so I guess it was just a bit of trial and error and finding things like I said like trying to read a book I felt like I was reading a book deliberately to fall asleep and so I couldn't concentrate mm-hmm. on it so I think I needed something slightly less I guess involved where I could just kind of sit with my eyes shut and kind of listen or like breathe, you know, deep, deep breathing and then, and then go back to bed. So I guess it's probably just a bit of trial and error um, and and finding the right thing for you. Yeah. I remember, well, you know, first of all, maybe it's helpful for us to just emphasize why we often see that real intense sleepiness before bed and then it kind of disappears when we get into bed and often it Mm. is related to that conditioned arousal Um, we've Mm. just learned through repeated nights of difficulty sleeping that the bed is a place that's unpleasant to be yeah be really sleepy before bed then we get into bed the brain kicks into gear and says "Uh oh here we go this is not a nice place to be and then we kind of lose that sense of sleepiness yeah 
that's when we can be tempted to resort to those external crutches or those sleep efforts. And usually the most helpful thing to do is whenever being in bed doesn't feel good is to just get out of bed and do something that might make that wakefulness just a little bit more pleasant. Um, that comes with the benefit of just shifting attention away from sleep. It definitely prevents you from putting effort into sleep because you're getting out of bed. Um, and I think it just also helps prevent you reinforcing that negative association between the bed and unpleasant wakefulness. Because if you're getting out of yeah. bed whenever it doesn't feel good to be in bed, you're training yourself that the bed is only a place for sleep or pleasant yeah. wakefulness. But it does take time and it's a case of just repeatedly getting out of bed whenever being in bed doesn't feel good um, and resisting that temptation to reach for those external crutches, whether it's like a pill in the middle of the night or a supplement in the middle of the night or smoking mm. in the middle of the night. Cause all those sleep efforts do is reinforce. If we do fall back to sleep, they reinforce this belief that we need them to generate sleep, yeah. which is never true. And if they don't help us fall back to sleep, then we can worry even more because that crutch is no longer working. I remember that when we were about halfway working, working through working together, about four weeks in, um, you know, you, you were making good progress. And then you had like that one difficult night, which I think every single client I have experiences. Um, and then you have that difficult night you know, and it brings back all those old anxieties. Um, it can even bring back some of those old, old bad habits like that you might yeah, start going totally. to bed earlier or going back to those crutches. You feel yeah. like I'm never going to improve. It's one step forward, yeah. two, two steps back. Yeah. How were you able to get through that, um, through that and just have that belief and motivate yourself to stay persistent and consistent with what you were doing up to that point? I mean, I think, I was just I like I it's not like I didn't feel you know I felt all of those anxieties that came back but um partly because I felt like I didn't really have a choice but to kind of stick with it and keep moving forwards because like mm -hmm. the other option was kind of going back to where I had been and um and I knew that it had you know that I was was making progress and um as like my husband kept reminding me like he was like this is not anywhere near as bad as it used to be this is fine um and I was just quite strict with myself I kept going to boot camp I went to work I focused on work I you know tried to be present with Louis and um and then the more times that happened the the more it was kind of easy to tell myself that like it's actually fine to get you know to have a few a few bad nights here and there yeah. like even a week like um Last week I, I was a bit ill and um, kind of was up half the night, one of the nights and I felt awful the next day. And then I had a kind of few rough, like disrupted nights and, um, but you just kind of get on with it and, and then your sleep just rectifies. And I don't know, it's just such a different mindset shift. It's maybe yeah. my sleep isn't even any better than it used to be, but, um, <laughs> but, but it's fine <laughs> yeah. because um a I, you know i know i don't need eight hours or nine hours of sleep a night i'm not going to die from not having eight or nine hours of sleep a night um i know i can get on with with work and everything the next day i know i'll sleep fine eventually and i'll actually have a really good deep night's sleep at you know at some point after that and i'll get back on track and it'll be fine and then probably a few weeks or months down the track it'll happen again and that's just it and i think it's just a different 
um, when I probably first started speaking to you, I was, you know, obsessed with being cured. And um, I think that's a really unhealthy thing to fixate on as well, because, you know, there is no like magical cure. There's no silver bullet for having perfect sleep. Um, it's just something that you kind of, you live with and, and it's, it's fine. Like I said before, it's just, it's, it's, it's how you react to it and um, just not kind of letting yourself spiral into all those kind of negative thought patterns um, that kind of gets you through it. (laughs) Actually having a lot of people around me that are very supportive, but definitely was helpful too. My husband like would parrot back to me things that I'd told him that you'd said to me. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) 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 I think it's, it's amazing, isn't it? How, you know, let's say we have, like, during this journey of changing your thoughts and behaviors about sleep, how you can go for like a couple, let's say a week or two weeks or three weeks, and then feel feel really good about your progress. But then you just have that kind of one difficult night, and the brain focuses all this attention on that yeah. one difficult night instead of the seven, yeah. the fourteen, the twenty-one yeah. decent nights you had before that. It really is quite amazing. Um, yeah. But because that's where the mind wants to go, the mind doesn't really care about problem about good stuff, you know, because that's not it doesn't have to problem solve the good stuff. Yeah. So it focuses all of its attention on the problems. And this can, you know, lead to this idea that you're not doing as well as you actually are. If you can take a step back and think, well, actually, I had a good week. I had a good two weeks. I had a good three weeks. This is only one night. Because if we don't actually do that consciously, the brain will just be like, nope, this is it. We're back to square one when that is far from the truth. Yeah, totally. I think, and I think, you know, I'm definitely like an anxious person in general and I worry about things. And I think like negativity bias is just kind of something that you do and catastrophizing. And um, there's a whole heap of like cognitive distortion that you have when you're kind of a slightly anxious person that just makes it so much worse. Actually, it's it's one of the things that I did do with, I found the sleep diary because I kept a sleep diary probably, I continued doing it after we finished and I probably finished up around, I stopped doing it around Christmas because we went away on holiday and I was just feeling great. I had, I was, you know having such a good run of sleep um so I stopped doing it but um when I'd had like a few difficult nights I'd actually go back and look at the sleep diary and be like oh I've actually been through this before <laughs> like oh yeah over yeah. here like a few weeks ago I had two really bad nights and then the third and fourth night I was fine again and so it was just reminding myself almost going back and looking like oh yeah this has happened already and it was fine and you know you'll get back on track rather than so I think having that kind of macro view and zooming out and being like oh look at this it's (laughs) um, you know instead of being like oh my god everything was great before and now it's rubbish it was like oh yeah look I've done this before I've been through this before and the more times you kind of go through it and cope with it and get back on track the more it just becomes part of the journey of, of just kind of life and yeah exactly how it goes something you you touched upon earlier was you know that desire to get results um so in a way it is understandable why why we would be disappointed whenever we have those bad nights because we're so desperate to get results to get rid of this insomnia um whenever we have those difficult nights it can feel like a real setback but the truth is they're all part of the process and occasional sleep disruption from time to time 
is part of life. There's nothing we can do about that. But what we can do is just make those one-off difficult nights more likely to just be one-off difficult nights rather than something you struggle with every single night for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, and so I think maybe shifting attention onto just implementing these behavioral changes to create better conditions for sleep rather than that ongoing monitoring and evaluation can be really helpful because at the end of the day, if we are able to tackle those thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate sleep disruption, the results are going to come by themselves. Um, and insomnia just cannot survive for the long term without those perpetuating thoughts and behaviors. Yeah, totally. And I think I did indulge in quite a lot of, you know, oh, if only I hadn't worried so much about my son's sleep. And oh, if only, you know, oh, I really wish I could go back to that time when I was you know much better at sleeping even though at the time I thought I was a terrible sleeper so um, you know it's it's like always like that stupid rose-tinted glasses thing but I think just like all that stuff's in the past and it was just you know indulging in kind of like I wish I'd done this differently or that differently it was just so unhelpful because you kind of yeah. you, you just kind of stuck it you know and that goes back to this whole like finding a cure it's not like it's it's not an illness that you can cure. <laughs> it's something that's that's always going to be there if you let it. Um, so I think just it's it's a it's an ongoing relationship. It's not a kind of cure or not cure. It's not like you're better or you're not better. Anyone can get it at any time, and you can get it. At, you know, you can slip back into it at any time. It's more about just kind of managing your relationship with sleep better, um, mm. and not reacting to it, and not kind of going down into that spiral. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over time that definitely becomes easier, you know, as you get yeah. regain that sleep confidence. Um, when your confidence is quite low, it can just feel like every night totally. of less than perfect sleep or less than the kind of sleep you want can feel like a real setback when it's it really is just all part of the process. And I remember that when we were working together, it was at the time when the elections were going on here oh, in the yeah. US and everything that was going on. And I remember you saying to me, you know, you experienced some sleep disruption, um, found yourself, you were spending that time to unwind before bed, but then you would just find that your mind was just kind of wired. You'd find, I think you called it, you were doom scrolling on Twitter, just yeah. scrolling and scrolling <laughs> yeah, yeah. through there. Yeah. Um, and then you would, you would feel like really frustrated and disappointed with yourself the next day because you had a difficult night of sleep and because maybe then you reached for those external crutches. You know, you, yeah. you'd reach for the supplements, you'd reach for the pills, you'd start smoking or whatever. Um, so I think it can be really helpful to just recognize that, Difficult nights of sleep every now and then are just a normal part of life, especially if we can recognize or identify an obvious cause of them. Um, yeah. Often there is quite an obvious cause to these temporary nights of sleep disruption, but sometimes there's not. But either way, worrying about a previous night of sleep isn't going to change Change that. It's usually the most helpful thing to do is to just keep moving forward even if you are implementing these behavioral changes and you feel you kind of didn't stick to them one night, that's okay. All that matters yeah. is the few, all that matters really is the present, but in terms yeah. of long-term improvements, what you do the next night and what you do that day is far more important than what you did yesterday or last week. Totally. And I think that, 
that that's been a big shift for me as well as not spending the whole day dissecting what I did the night before and and trying to diagnose why it happened you know yeah. I remember at the beginning when I was you know I'd spent literally spent the whole day being like oh maybe it's because I you know didn't go for a run this morning or like I had a cup of coffee or like all this stupid stuff <laughs> you know um you know I didn't have a long enough bath or like all these stupid things that you're kind of like diagnosing you know self-diagnosing that definitely had no impact whatsoever and it's just a complete waste of time um, yeah. <laughs> like worrying about so much energy just focused on worrying and and finding hunting for problems that aren't there and hunting for solutions that aren't there um, yeah exactly you know that i think that is a common trait um among people with insomnia is that kind of ongoing experimentation and monitoring um so let's use working out for an example we might start paying attention to what time we work out um in the day yeah. and how that affects sleep um or what kind of exercise we're doing and how that affects sleep yeah and to be honest like exercise isn't gonna create sleep exercise is good for our overall health makes us feel better during the day lowers fatigue lots of good things associated with exercise yeah. but exercise isn't gonna create sleep so we can easily get distracted trying to look for all these things that might influence sleep when really sleep is pretty straightforward um in order for sleep to happen we need to be sleepy enough for sleep. So we need to be yeah. awake for long enough. Um, and conditions need to be right for sleep. And that really comes down to arousal. We need to have low levels yeah. of arousal. Um, if we have any kind of arousal around sleep, um, we're worried about sleep, we're putting effort into sleep, striving for sleep, then our body needs to generate more sleep drive to overcome that arousal. So we need to be awake for longer. And that's why we experience less sleep when we have a lot of worry or concern around sleep and doing things like monitoring for the effects of what we do during the day on sleep or doing all these different kinds of experiments, they're not going to generate sleep, but they are certainly going to generate more arousal because we're paying far yeah. more attention to sleep. We're putting more effort into sleep. We're implying that we can control sleep when we cannot control sleep. Um, so they are a common trait among people with insomnia. And I guess mm -hmm. what I'm really getting at is we don't need to do them. We can just abandon all those unhelpful sleep efforts. And like you mentioned, it can just be so liberating to realize that we don't have to do all of these things and have all these rituals and pay all this attention to what we do during the day or worry about how it might affect our sleep. Yeah, I think the, yeah, I think the best, thing my husband said to me was just like you're not allowed to talk about sleep anymore he was just like i'm so bored if you go <laughs> and now he just literally pulls me off he's just like nope yeah you know, that's part of your weird sleep story that doesn't exist and like we're not talking about that anymore um yeah and i think having people around you that kind of keep you honest <laughs> is quite helpful as well and not, you know, you know, I used to ring up my friends and my sisters and, you know, on and on, like crying on the phone and moaning on at them. And it's just what a waste of time and what a waste of, you know, it's not great for them. either. <laughs> just, um, and they worry about you and it just kind of it just it completely just reinforces the problem. Um, you're yeah. just kind of working it into this this massive thing when it just doesn't really need to be at all yeah um and the best thing to do is just to avoid talking about it or thinking about it as much as possible which is you know 
easier said than done, of course. And, you know, you know, I often, you know, fall back into thinking about it, but now I kind of catch myself and, you know, distract myself doing something else or, you know, you know, go and write it down and then put it away. And mm. um, just, just whatever you can do to kind of, you know, recognize that you're having that thought, but then kind of put it to one side, I think yeah. is, is really helpful um because it's impossible to block out anxiety and, and right. thoughts like that and it, it's impossible because because <laughs> um, it always comes and, and like I said you're never cured um you know and maybe maybe I will be in 10 years time and I'll never think, think or sleep think, you know think um, about sleep ever again but you know I, I think it's it's really unrealistic to think that you know like after an eight-week course you're going to be completely cured and that's it and you know see you later job done I think it does it, it does take um, a certain, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say effort because I know we're not supposed to put effort mm. into it, but it takes, I guess it takes a bit of discipline to yeah. stop stop yourself indulging in um, things that will make things worse, that will make it worse um, yeah. and starting to recognize patterns before you kind of fall into those traps. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you made a really good point about thoughts, you know, not trying to yeah. suppress thoughts, especially yeah. thoughts that might otherwise generate worry or anxiety, because as soon as we try and suppress that kind of thinking, yeah. the brain thinks, oh, wow, this must be a real threat. We need to think about this some more. And it kind of pushes back even, pushes it back even harder. Um, yeah. And then you're just constantly involved in this battle, trying to suppress thinking, which never works. But it sure can be exhausting. Um, and I think that can be a big contributor to this fatigue that we we often feel when we have insomnia, um, not only generated by less sleep, but also all the cognitive arousal, all the thinking, all the worrying, um, all the trying not to think about sleep, um, all the effort that involves can just be exhausting. Yeah, really exhausting and a total waste of time. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, like and I say this to my husband now I'm like oh god I wasted like half my maternity leave just worrying about sleep um and you know I'm kind of determined not to let it take over my life in that way again which is very yeah. different to saying I'm not going to have sleep trouble again yeah <laughs> yeah and you know, I think it, it can be really helpful to just recognize the Thoughts are thoughts. That's all they are. They're just thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, we have thousands of thoughts throughout the day. We pay very little attention to almost all of them. Um, but when we're worried about sleep, those ones we tend to fixate yeah. on and focus on. And it can be hard, but often just recognizing the thought, identifying it as a thought, oh, here it is, it's that thought, I'm worrying about sleep again, and not trying to suppress it, not trying to push it, push it away. I think that that's often the easiest approach to take because it's a little bit like a playground bully. You know, if we just, okay, we recognize that that thought, we recognize that bully is there. If we don't react, if we don't try and push them away, don't try and run away, the bully soon gets bored and those thoughts drift away, just like all the other thoughts that aren't related to sleep that enter and leave our mind throughout the day. They enter yeah. and they leave because we don't pay that much attention to them. If we can get to that point where we treat those sleep thoughts the same way it can just make things so much easier totally and it's not and it's it it's it's also not allowing those thoughts to to, to influence how you act as well mm, um, yeah. you know acknowledging that you've had that thought and instead of then spending the rest of the day googling how do i sleep better <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> you acknowledge that you've got the thought and then go cool I've had the thought that's fine um it's there it's in the back of my mind maybe but I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act on it at all um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I think one of those I think just one of those big thoughts I'm sure you'll recognize this one is just you know oh I, I had a really difficult night, so, you know, maybe I should reach for X tonight to try and help me to sleep, whether that's a pill or a supplement or smoking or anything mm. like that. Or maybe now because I had a difficult night, maybe now I should go to bed earlier or maybe now I should try and nap during the day because your yeah. brain kind of wants to... It, it wants to problem solve, you know. we yeah. None of us would be alive if our brains weren't hardwired to problem solve. But the problem with sleep is often a lot of the solutions we come up with they might actually give us some short-term relief, you know, going to bed earlier might lead to a little bit more sleep that night, but it can then lead to more sleep disruption on following nights. Yeah, totally. I think, and that's the part about going to bed early is really, was really um, good to break. And that's why sleep restriction really helped is just kind of giving a bit of consistency to my sleep patterns. Cause yeah. you know, I'd have like a few nights of like really terrible sleep and then I'd sleep conk out and sleep for 10 hours and then the next night <laughs> I'll be back exactly. to like not sleeping again. And so I think just generating that consistency was 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 really important and in kind of breaking those those up and down cycles um, yeah. for me. Yeah, that I mean yeah. that is one of the big reasons why we see these roller coaster nights of really long nights of lots and lots of sleep and then nights of very little to no sleep is it's often caused by an inconsistent sleep schedule and allotting too much time for sleep. So yeah. if we, we align a lot of time for sleep, when sleep drive builds to that really intense level, yeah, we're going to fill all that time with sleep. But then when sleep drive has been relieved because we got all of that sleep, we're then we're not spending enough time awake to build that sleep drive up enough to sustain sleep the next night. Yeah. And so we hit that roller coaster of long nights, short nights, and that can just be so frustrating and just lead to more sleep-related worry which in turn generates more yeah. arousal yeah it's that roller coaster of like oh god what's this night going to be like and then you feel great after your 10 hours and then you feel terrible again <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know we've covered a lot um in this conversation just upon reflection just to summarize what would you say were the things that proved to be most helpful for you at helping you to get to where you are now um I think probably the like the number one thing was the 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 recognition that um I shouldn't be problem solving around this anymore and making my peace with not getting not always striving to get eight hours I think was probably mm. the single biggest like unlock for me um and just that whole like I said to you you know my sister my sister saying you don't have to do anything like that like internalizing yeah. that advice um and that knowledge is probably um the most important when it comes to kind of thought patterns um and then i think just practically the sleep restriction definitely was was really really helpful just in generating that that consistency and like building up that um sleep drive so i was kind of tired each night when i went to bed um mm. because that almost just like acted as a circuit breaker so yeah. that I could start getting on on track again. Um, so yeah, I'd say those two things were definitely the most the most helpful for me. 
And then there's all the ancillary stuff around kind of making sure you get up at the same time every day and, and the boot camp and, and not staying in bed when you're not asleep. And um, yeah, but I think yeah. those those two things, the sleep restriction and the um, just recognizing that or making my peace with not problem solving around sleep and worrying about it all yeah. the time. And, the, you know, the, the liberation that comes with that, I think, as well, yeah. um, Absolutely. were the biggest things for me. And then probably with 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 hindsight now there's there's you know with hindsight now it's also the third piece around kind of knowing that I can cope with difficult nights and and not letting that kind of spiral so um that's definitely been been a helpful kind of learning experience too yeah absolutely you know I think a lot of it I think comes down to acceptance in a way you know just accepting yeah. the what happens at night is what happens at night. Um, not trying to control it um, and putting all those all those instincts to control into more productive areas, like controlling what you do during the day, for example, like staying yeah. active, um, resisting that temptation to just spend the whole day researching researching yeah. sleep, um, giving yourself that opportunity to improve the quality of your day independently of sleep. Um, all of those things can be can be just so helpful in addition yeah. to all the all the other behavioral techniques that we've already discussed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right yeah. see well you know i i really appreciate all the time that you've given up to come onto the podcast today um to talk about your journey and your transformation in in your sleep and your mindset around sleep but i do have one last question for you which is it's always the last question for every guest <laughs> so i'm not going to break precedent here i'm going to ask you the same question um if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, and they just can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? Well, first, um, I'd tell them to do your course, <laughs> um, <laughs> because it really did, it really did help, um, you know, having something to focus on that wasn't sleep, that, that still felt like you were, you were doing something, and your effort was going into somewhere positive um and then I guess I just you know give the advice of of look, stop stop trying to problem solve around sleep and um the advice that my sister gave me you know you don't actually have to do anything like that's the beauty of sleep do less <laughs> um and I know that's like it uh, you know if someone had said that to me probably at the time I would have punched them in the face <laughs> but with hindsight um I think learning to internalize that and not kind of indulging all these thoughts and, and letting, letting yourself spiral, um, be, you know, my biggest piece of advice. And also just like, please don't give up hope because, um, I honestly, I, I was in such a bad place. I was in the depths of kind of despair and hopelessness and, um, you can drag yourself out of it. Um, it doesn't, life doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be like that there's definitely a way to kind of um, make significant improvements and have a kind of ongoing better relationship with sleep. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be my advice. Great. Well, I think that's an excellent note to end on. So um, thanks again for your time and for sharing your experience. I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you, Celia. Good. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. 
If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two-week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>